Let's pray. Father, we honor you right now in Jesus' name. Just um, how you move through this church, how you've moved through this church, how you move through um, lives of people who are submitted to you. So we just thank you for that. We thank you for Caleb's testimony. We thank you for the other kids' testimonies who were here that day. We thank you for just testimonies of even everyone in this church who've come to know you. Pray today that we would all have ears to hear, minds to comprehend, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. Father, I pray that um, with great humility we would receive your word today, that we walk out of here different, wanting to know you, not because of a craftiness of a sermon or the emotions of music, Father, but because you opened up a door into our heart to let us see you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we do find ourselves in the book of Revelation. If you have not been here or if you have missed some of the past uh, couple months, it would be good to go to our website to follow up. But um, you'll kind of get the context of everything else that's going on. But today we do find ourselves in Revelation chapter 7. And this scripture specifically within Revelation chapter 7 is highly debated. It's another highly debated scripture just like the tribulation. So meaning the rapture. So pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Well, the 144,000 is also debated. So the good news about today's scripture is this, is the 144,000 is not a salvation issue. But that doesn't mean because it's not a salvation issue that we don't, uh, or that we have to take it lightly, or that God can't help us understand it. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says this, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it could be easy, it could be easy to just say, hey, look, the 144,000 um, churches divide over it, uh, religions have been created around it. So let's not even touch it, but we also have to touch it because all scripture is inspired by God, amen? So we have to wrestle, wrestle through the tough things. Now I did say, what was it, the Jehovah Witness, but Witnesses believe that the 144,000 are them or special people within their religion. And I would be here today to tell you I do not believe that to be the case. So um, I hope you didn't need me to say that. But this scripture comes under much debate because, the, um, yeah, the, the 144,000, and what is it? So the question is, who are the 144,000 in this scripture? Some suggest that the 144,000 within this scripture are clearly the Jews, while others suggest that these are the completion of believers on the earth. 
Make sense? So you're like, I don't know what the 144,000 are. We're going to get there. I'm, I'm prefacing. So in this scripture, there's 144,000 people. Some think it's the Jews. Some think it's the completion of the church. So in chapter 6, the Lamb, which is Jesus, begins to unfold the scroll introduced in chapter 5. So go listen. Go follow. Go follow these teachings, right? He breaks six of the seven seals. We are introduced to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Major destruction sweeps across the earth. Saints are killed and heaven cries for justice. And the people of the earth seek to hide from him who is seated on the throne. So the book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus. And the unveiling of Jesus is at the end of time where his fullness comes and the earth will be destroyed and then he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what we've been seeing unfold. See, what's interesting is at the end, many people seek to hide from him who is seated on the throne. People in chapter 6 are seeking to hide from God because of how holy he is. He is. Now, what's interesting is many actually want the rocks to fall on them rather than repent. Isn't that interesting? In chapter 6, what they say is they say, hey, we see this holy one coming. We, 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 we see the one sitting on the throne. But what we want is we want these rocks. We want these mountains. We're in a cave. We would rather the mountains fall on us than repent of our sin. Isn't that really sad? Now you say, well, if clearly I saw Jesus sitting on his throne coming, I would repent of my sin. Well, I beg a differ because what Matthew 24 tells us is in the end of times, there will be earth war, uh, rumors of war and famines and earthquakes in various places, right? And then these earthquakes, they will be like birthing pains and they will increase in intensity and increase in size. So I wonder how many of us today have some sin in our lives that we're holding on to that we won't repent of. Does that make sense? We see the signs. There's a generation of people who see the signs of the return of Christ. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes in various places, famines. But yet we don't repent. And what's within our nature is for us to say, why in Revelation chapter 6 would these people not repent? They, 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 they see this one sitting on the throne, and they understand the one who's sitting on the throne in his power, but instead of saying, I repent of my sin, I put my life in your hands, they say, make these rocks fall on me to kill me to end it now. Many of us are that stubborn that we would rather rocks fall on us than to say that we are wrong. So God, help us be people of humility who are willing to repent of our sins. Amen? That was free. So now, after all of that, we find ourselves in chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. 
After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servant, servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tr tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Ze uh, Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. And all I can hear is, one dollar, Steve, one dollar. Just one dollar, you know, like all these numbers, 12,000, 12, one dollar, one dollar. So we should see a theme in this chapter. And the overall theme of this chapter, and even the overall theme of the Bible is this, is God protects his people. But the question we must ask here in Revelation chapter 7 is who are the people that are referenced as the 144,000? Believers or Jews? Believers or Jews? So your interpretation of pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib will likely aid in your perspective. So I hold loosely to my perspective. But if you're someone who believes that the church is raptured, gathered together unto God, then the perspective that you would have is these have to be Jewish people. And they have to be Jewish people because your perspective is at the rapture, what God ends up doing is he takes all the saints. He takes all the believers up, so then the only ones who are left on earth would be Jewish people and people who don't believe in God. So for those who believe in the pre-trib rapture, these are Jews. For those who believe in the mid-trib rapture, these are Jews. For those who believe in the post-trib rapture, most people would believe that these are, this is the completion of the church. So the first question that arises is, we see 12 tribes that are listed here with 12,000 people. But where are Ephraim and Dan? And if you don't have a lot of Bible knowledge today, that's okay. We're going to work through it. But the original tribes were the 12, tri uh, the 12 tribes came from the 12 sons of Israel or Jacob. And the 12 sons of Jacob were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Rubulin, 
Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Joseph, and Benjamin. So these men had families who grew into a nation of 12 tribes while in Egypt for 400 years. But what's interesting is when the Bible presents the 144,000, we have to ask, um, where are Ephraim and Dan? Right? They were in the original 12, but now that they're being presented, why are they not in this scripture? Now, Joseph and Manasseh seem to be in a place of Ephraim and Dan. But why is this the case? Why, did, why were they put here rather than just the original 12? One author says this, there are over a dozen different arrangements of the 12 tribes in the Bible. This one is unique among all of those. Judah is listed first because Jesus was from there as a lion of the tribe of Judah. All the 12 sons are listed, including Levi, who usually wasn't because he didn't inherit any land except for one. Manasseh and Joseph's, um, Manasseh, Joseph's son, so Jacob's grandson, is listed in the place of Dan. So why, why is Dan not listed in the original 12? Why, or why is Dan not listed in the 12 tribe, tribes of the 144,000? Now, some people would suggest it was possible that Dan was left out in order to point to the purity of the redeemed church. Now, from early Israeli history, um, Dan was the center of idolatry for the kingdom. So Judges 18, idolatry happens, and during these days, the kingdom divided, or during the divided kingdom, Dan was one of two centers of idolatry, and you can find that in 1 Kings as well, 1 Kings 12. And there was recorded in some non-biblical Jewish writings that the Jews thought that the Antichrist would come out of Dan, so um, come out of his lineage. And they based that based upon Genesis 49, 17, that for time's sake we're not going to get into today. But for reference sake, if you want to check it, you can write that down. So some of these Jewish writings believed that the Antichrist will come out of Dan. Therefore, since the Antichrist will come out of Dan, within their writings, they can't put him within these 12 tribes. So we have to ask, if the list of 12 tribes is different than the original 12 tribes, how are we to interpret the 144,000? I lean towards this helping us under, I lean towards this way, right? I lean towards this understanding or helping us understand that the 144,000 is referencing God's complete and redeemed church because of the order of these tribes and how they're listed, the apparent omitting of some, 
and the number 144,000 being a complete number. So hold loosely to this, right? My belief of the 144,000 is not going to, um, I'm going to face Jesus one day, right? And you too. Here's what you should not tell Jesus. He says, hey, why should I let you into heaven? Well, because I believe that the 144,000 meant this. That's not going to get you in, amen? So we're not going to divide over this. So furthermore, verse 4, then I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. So we have to ask this question. Is 144,000 referenced here within Revelation chapter 7 a literal number? Is the number literal or is it a picture of something greater? Now, what do we understand about Revelation thus far? And here's, here's, where, we here's where we struggle, and we will always struggle, and, and I struggle, is there's a tendency within our nature to pick and choose things. Amen? How many of you guys in here are pickers and choosers? I'm a picker and chooser. I pick and choose. And... Um, I'm so thankful that in God's great mercy uh, and his blood is enough. Amen? So here's where we pick and choose. Much of Revelation is symbolic. Most of it is symbolic. Yet what ends up happening is those who interpret the 144,000 is they take that as literal. They take the 144,000 as literal. So why do we pick to see the book of Revelation as symbolic? And then when it comes to a number, we say, we're going to take this as exact. So um, those who would believe pre-trib or mid-trib would understand the 144,000 as the Jewish remnant. They believe that the 144,000 is the remnant that is saved immediately after the rapture. And now these Jews, what they would believe, is that they become evangelists who will preach the good news during tribulation. They also believe that the 144,000 is the exact number of Jews that will be saved during this time. So it will be exactly 144,000, not 139,999, not 144,001. Exactly 144,000 is what they would believe. And they preach the good news. They will proceed to suggest that this great multitude or innumerable, in, Someone help me. In, innumerable, innumerable, innumerable. No, no, no. A bunch. Well, other, other, other versions, NIV says a great multitude. Other versions say an innumerable number. So um, they would suggest that this number um, at the latter half of this chapter are the Gentiles saved through the efforts of the 144,000. 
So here's, here's what they're suggesting is after certain or before the seals are opened, Jesus raptures the church. He, he comes at the first coming. He takes the church. After he takes the church, there's 144,000 ex exact Jews that are here. Somehow these Jews fall in love with Christ, put their faith in him, and say, you're not just a prophet, you are, Jesus, you are Lord over all, your blood has covered us, and then they become evangelists. They then evangelize these Gentiles, which become the great multitude. So, um, yeah, I might be missing something, but I don't see anything currently in Revelation that would suggest that the 144,000 Jews become evangelists. So I say that to say, talk about speculation. I know we talk about is the color red communist, is the color black um, capitalism speculation, but there is some speculation that people have made that these 144,000 are going to become evangelists. So we should also ask ourselves this question about the 144,000. Will there only be Jewish believers on earth? Will that be all that's left if people are raptured before the tribulation? I don't think so. So why would God only protect Jewish believers and leave the Gentile believers to face such judgment? So we have to ask that. As I stated before, I see throughout the entirety of the Bible that God protects his people from his wrath. Amen? I think when we're blood covered, we don't face God's wrath. Now, the wrath of the world, the wrath of Satan, the wrath of people, the wrath of your kids, the wrath of your spouse, the wrath of a coworker. I think we face those things. But the wrath of God that we should be most fearful of, we don't face. So, um, yeah, therefore, I believe that the number 144,000 is not an exact number. I believe that it's more symbolism of the fullness or complete number of God's people. I believe we, my interpretation today, through prayer and through greater study, I hope I continually learn about understanding scripture to the day that I die. But my understanding today that I hold lightly to is that the 144,000 is symbolic of a complete church. The way that the tribes were introduced and some tribes that were not in there. So I believe 144,000, when we think about that number, is to show completeness and wholeness. So we, another perspective to help us understand the 144,000 is the scripture references uh, his servants, right? So who are his servants? And we see that. Let me, let me just read it. Um, do not harm. Do not harm. Uh, yeah, right here. Verse 3 says, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have put a seal on the forehead of the servants of God. 
So who is this seal? Who are the servants of God is what we have to ask to help us understand who the 144,000 are, right? So what we've gone through is the 12 tribes. We've gone through the literal interpretation of the 144,000. Now we're saying who are the servants, which are the 144,000 that God seals? So one of the best ways to understand the Bible is to let the entirety of the Bible interpret one area. Amen? No amens? Are you guys awake today? I hope you are. So who are his servants being referenced here? The 144,000 are called servants. And in every other place in Revelations, Sorry, in Revelation, servants of God are referred to as redeemed people. So we pick and choose, right? We pick and choose. Every other area in the book of Revelation, the term servants is pointing to God's redeemed people. So that's pointing to you and I. And here's how we start to see why our interpretation of the rapture then determines the way that we understand the 144,000. Because if you believe that uh, we are raptured before tribulation, then you say God's servants are not here. But if you understand that maybe the church will be raptured after tribulation, then servants can be here. So therefore, as we made the argument about pre, mid, and post, this could be an argument for post-trib as well. So here in the book of Revelation, here's how many times God's servants are referenced. Revelation 1.1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John. So... Who was the book of Revelation written for? His servants. So was it written for the Jews or was it written for his people? It was written for his people, his servants. So the book of Revelation was written for you and I. It was written for the believers then too. Amen? So what we see here is in the introduction of the book of Revelation, servants is God's people. Revelation 2, 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By teaching, sorry, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, the eating of the food sacrificed to idols. So was Jezebel misleading Jews? No. Jezebel was misleading who? God's people, his servants. Okay, you guys see that. Revelation 19.5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him both great and small, so is Revelation 19.5 pointing to the entirety of the church, or is Revelation 19.5 pointing to the Jews? 
Revelation 19.5 is pretty clear. Praise our God, all you, his servants. All of you who are his servants. So you guys can interpret this pretty clearly too. This wasn't just for the Jews. Revelation 22.3. No longer will, will there be any case, sorry, any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So what's happening here in Revelation 22 is we're wrapping up, right? We're wrapping up the book of Revelation. And what he's saying is his servants will serve him. God's people, not the Jews, God's people, the entirety of the church will serve him. So we have to ask, who are his servants? If we just let the book of Revelation, if we just let the book of Revelation interpret our understanding of the term servant, then what we would say is this, is God's servants are his people whose blood covers them and they put their faith in him and him alone. So where we pick and choose is we might have a tendency, and I, and I, hope, I so hope I'm wrong about post-tribulation rapture. I pray that I'm wrong. But what happens is I see a scenario by which my heart could deceive me because I believe the pre-trib to then rationalize why this 144,000 has to be Jews. Because if the 144,000 are not Jews and the 144,000 are the entirety of God's servant, servants, then what does that mean about the rapture? We might be here during the tribulation. So I just, I don't want us to pick and choose. And of all the addresses of servants in Revelation, it's God's church. Nevertheless, we have to ask the question about those who are sealed. And what are seals? Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. What do seals mean in Scripture? In Ezekiel 9, seals on the forehead distinguished two groups. Those who were idolaters and those who were not. So we're looking at the entirety of the Bible. Those who were idolaters and those who were not. And actually what we end up having today is there's actually two groups of people. Those who are covered by the blood of Jesus and those who are not. Amen? That's it. There's one way to heaven. There's two groups. Those who serve Jesus and those who do not. Those who are sealed and covered by the blood of Jesus and those who are not. Those who are going to heaven and those who are not. In Revelation 13, one will have to receive a mark or a seal on their forehead or wrist to buy or to sell. You know, we talked several weeks ago, um, postulating a little bit about the stores and everything else. Well, we just saw a bank fail, right? Let's postulate a little bit more. We just saw a bank fail. What's essentially they're hoping for is centralized banking. And what centralized banking would end up doing, postulating, not preaching here, right? 
postulating. What centralized banking will end up doing is that means that everything will be on our credit. There will be no cash, everything will be centralized. In one bank, the government's gonna have to come in and oversee the banking system and make sure that our banks don't fail anymore. So everything will be centralized into one. So you won't have Huntington Bank, you won't have PNC Bank, you won't have Citibank or whatever other banks there are, even small town bankings, everything will be centralized. And the government will oversee it. And if you wanted to do any kind of just basic research today, you can see, just type in centralized banking, and you can read how we're, ho how we're hoping, meaning the leaders within the world are hoping for centralized banking. So then what that means is everything that you want to buy or sell is tied to that. So you can't go to the store and say, I want a loaf of bread for a dollar. Everything that you buy or sell will be tied to it. And then everything that you buy or sell will be known unless you swipe your card and buy a loaf of bread and then, then go take that loaf of bread and buy a ping pong table with it just by trading something. You know, they're not gonna, centralized banking won't be able to see the, the trading, right? But here's where centralized banking is scary, is the mark of the beast means that you're gonna receive a seal on your forehead or your wrist. And then what does it tell us? In um, Revelation 13, one will have to receive that seal or that mark to buy or sell anything. Now, what do we know that seal or that mark is in Revelation 13? The seal or the mark is your allegiance to the devil. So seals in Ezekiel meant God or not God, idolatry or not idolatry. And we start to see that seals, even in the book of Revelation, mean following Satan or following God. So this distinguishes followers of Jesus versus non-followers. Similarly, here in Revelation chapter 7, the case could be made that the sealed referenced here were the whole number of the church, were the whole number of the believers. Whole because the number 144,000 is complete. But if it's only 144,000, why would God not protect all of his people? Why, so, there, so during the time of tribulation, there's only going to be 144 exact, 144,000 exact people or Jews that come to know Christ? Revelation 9.4 says this, They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. So is it, are only 144,000 the exact number that have that seal, seal of God? What about the Gentile believers? What about those who are coming to Christ? What about those who do not receive the mark of the beast? See, because in Revelation 13, those when it said those who don't receive the mark can't buy or sell, what does that mean? These people in Revelation 13 didn't give their life to Satan. They didn't surrender to the mark of the beast. So what does that mean about those people who don't surrender to the mark of the beast? What does that make them? A believer who then endures, who then will be saved. Right? 
So why is it the 144,000 is just Jews and that's all the people that will be saved? But why is it that God only protects the 144,000 and not those who don't receive the mark of the beast? So I understand, then I wrestle, and I'm, I'm wrestling as I'm preaching. I guess what I'm saying is this, is the 144,000 has to be more than 144,000. And it can't just be Jews because in Revelation 13, those who receive the seal of Christ, those who God protects from the mark of the beast and the enemy, they go to heaven too. So why would God only protect 144,000 Jews? It's more than that. Therefore, the case could be made that the sealed in chapter 7 and 9 must be symbolically pointing to the redeemed, not a select few. So, I know it challenges some of our beliefs today. Where I stand is the 144,000 that are read here, that we read about here, is not the Jews but it's God's complete church. Let's continue. Verse 9, a lot of reading here. <clears throat> After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell, fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, they, sorry, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them from his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen? There's a lot in the book of Revelation that we don't understand. And there's a lot in life that we can't comprehend things that frustrate us, that don't go our way, that we wish never happened, that we don't understand why God would allow them to go through people or us. Why would God allow this to go through this filter? God, you don't understand that life is miserable. Why do you let these things happen? But before I get there, I just want to say this. One of the authors that I referenced earlier said this. The 144,000 
in Revelation 17 and 14, and the great multitude in um, these verses refer to the same group of people viewed from a different perspective. The 144,000 redeemed standing on the brink of battle will still, uh, while still on earth, while the great multitude are the redeemed enjoying their heavenly reward. So what he's saying is the 144,000 that are still on earth, and there's a lot that could be articulated is that these 144,000 are on earth, that number was counted from the, uh, from the perspective of um, a census, right? And then often in the Old Testament, when census was taken, census was taken for the number of men so that you knew how strong your army was. So some theologians would suggest that the 144,000 here are men, celibate men, right? Men, because then we could continue down that argument, and I wanted to eat today, right? But there was another argument that suggested that these 144,000 are celibate men. So men that have never uh, been married, had sex with their wives, anything, right? Just perfect. So, so then we have to ask, well, are the Jews only 144,000 celibate men? And the argument could continue on, right? But this author, what this author is saying is that these 144,000, this number also represents, generally speaking, the time of war, Armageddon. So there's 144,000 men on earth partnering with Christ. And really, we're going to watch him do all the work, right? We're going to watch God do all the work. So the 144,000 represent those on earth, and then the great multitude are those who have died and went to heaven and are with Jesus now. Does that make sense? If not, I can keep on wrestling through it. I think you get it. Whether you agree with it, that's fine. But you at least understand what I'm saying, correct? Okay. So the 144,000 and the great multitude are the same. The 144,000 are portrayed as a messianic army waging spiritual war while yet on earth, while the multitude are the redeemed of all ages in heaven, enjoying their reward in heaven. That's what this author proposes. Um, I preach all this lightly, right? But here's what I don't preach lightly. Verse 17, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their face. When revelation begins to unfold, and it appears as if hell on earth is breaking loose, when there's wars and rumors of wars, when there's creatures, when there's famines, and a third or the fourth of the earth is wiped out, when the spirit of the Antichrist and the Antichrist are murdering and killing and destroying. What can we trust? That not only Jesus is the one opening the seals, but that he is our shepherd. He is leading his church and he is leading his people. And today, whatever you're going through, guess what? If you just slow down and look, he's leading your life as well. He's protecting, he's shepherding, he's guiding. Micah 5, 4 says this, he will stand and he will shepherd his flock. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, 
and he, uh, sorry, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He will stand and shepherd his people. God is shepherding you today. Shepherding's not always easy. Now, um, I know this about our um, shepherds, goats, and lambs. I've, I've heard stories of where shepherds have had to break legs of goats and lambs because they kept on harming themselves. They kept on running away. They kept on falling into ditches. Now, do I think that God breaks your leg? Not at all. But sometimes I think God allows some hard things in your life to happen because he needs to slow you down. He wants you to see him. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to not be out in front of him. He wants you to live for today and not borrow trouble from tomorrow. Jesus, during this time, will be the shepherd for those who face this trouble. And just as Jesus will be their shepherd, today Jesus is our shepherd. And Jesus will lead us and protect us. So I say today, whatever you are going through, and whatever God's people will go through, he's with us. But here's what I say as I plead with you to follow him. If you're not following him, then he's not your shepherd. I plead with you to follow him. I plead with you to yield to him. I plead with you to trust him. I plead with you to repent of your sins and to open up the door of your heart that he's knocking on. Because some of us might not face that tribulation. But some of us are facing hard times right now. Some of us feel like we're facing hell on earth. Some of us feel empty and lost and hurting. So follow him because he's your shepherd. Let's pray. Father, there's just um, a lot of unknown in the book of Revelation. But you do say, those who seek me will find me when they seek me with their whole heart. I pray that we would be obsessed with you, that you would be far above everything else. Father, that you would give us understanding as we spend time with you. May it be a joy in our lives to spend time with you. Father, forgive us where we've wanted you to become an ATM or a genie a miracle worker so that we can get our fix and leave. I pray that you would set us free of that today, but we would just love being in your presence. So, Father, we honor you where you are our shepherd, where things haven't gone our way, where you've led us to places that were really scary, but you protected us. Thank you for being our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.